Welcome to Noble with Jason Noble, the podcast where we talk about HR and career issues. I'm your host, Jason Noble. We're here to share funny and interesting stories and advice in a transparent and down-to-earth approach. Hi, I'm Jason. Welcome to the Noble Podcast. Today, we're talking with Neha Mandani about coaching as a manager, basically learning how to lead yourself and your team with less stress and more success. Neha is a certified executive coach and leadership development consultant for leaders who want to lead with their authentic style, show up with greater self-belief, and bring out the best in their teams. She currently supports leaders and their teams at several Fortune 500 companies and startups across various levels, and her clients include Adobe, LinkedIn, Airbnb, Geico, Marriott, and more. She also brings 15 years of success in management consulting and leading teams and projects at several tech companies, including LinkedIn and BetterUp. She is a graduate of the Coactive Training Institute and certified by the ICF. Neha, welcome to the Noble Podcast. Hi, Jason. Thank you for the warm welcome, and I'm so excited to be in conversation with you. Yeah, likewise, and thank you for joining me. So I have to start off by saying we've known each other about a year and a half, and I'm a big believer in fate, uh, that things happen for a reason. I think when we connected while you worked at Hire Guy, that was fate, and, and I'm really glad we did it. It's obviously led us to doing a podcast today. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I was reflecting on that too. I was like, you know, I I was more as a working as a product and a marketing um, yep. owner, and you were a customer, and here we are. Yeah. You know, having a very conversation. Isn't it amazing? And we're on opposite coasts. We never knew each other before this. So it's it's amazing how things just work out. Absolutely. And again, so lovely to be in conversation here with you. So let's start with you. I see you schooled in engineering and started your career in consulting. How did you end up in coaching? Yeah, I love I love how you're taking me sort of down the memory lane. Um I would say, you know, the, the seeds for me, Jason, were actually planted very early on. So I'll, I'll maybe, you know, go back. I'm, I'm turning 40 next month. So I'm, I'm really rewinding about several decades back. And even as a child, um, I was always very curious and very fascinated with human behavior. So my mom, was, I gave her full credit. Mom, if you're listening, big thank you. Um, for really introducing you to emotional intelligence. She would have articles on emotional intelligence stuck up different parts of our house or she loved putting fun things on the bathroom walls. I don't know why I don't do that, but she loved doing that. Um, and I was always very curious and very intrigued by the concept of emotional intelligence when it, when it first came out. You know, we obviously knew what it means to be intelligent in math, math and science. Here there was emotional intelligence. Um, so I would say that was one seed that was planted. Another seed, which is, you know, slightly more deeper for me is I grew up in the Middle East. Uh, where women's rights were, you know, very different. I mean, th- th- there's still challenges today, but, you know, we're talking 30 plus years back. The world looked very different then. Um, and mm-hmm. just to give you perspective, I was in fourth grade and I had to wear tights to cover my legs because there are boys in my school. So that's that's what I saw firsthand. Uh, and that's just an example of how women's voices were silenced, right? So we'd go to friends' houses, um, the girls all, and I'm talking elementary school, the girls have to be in a different room and boys have to be in a different room because that's just mm-hmm. what it is. Um, you go to the adults, it's the men who are having real conversations and the women are nowhere to be seen. And then I went to boarding school in India. I actually went to an all girls boarding school in eighth grade. 
I can say without a doubt, even today, like I met some, probably some of the smartest women I know over there. And for me, what was so fascinating with that experience, I mean, yes, that is a gender lens, but that is a broader human lens around what happens when you silence the voices of a certain section of society and what happens when you don't silence them and you give them full power to to really be who they are. Um, And that was just such a transformative experience for me um, just to see, you know, sort of the thread of human potential. Um, what happens when you you let them thrive, you let them shine. And then the third thing would be, you know, I, I grew up in Middle East, but I'm Indian origin, so my family was in India. And so we traveled to India every year, and I would see so much poverty firsthand. So one of my most vivid memories is we'd get down at the Delhi or Bombay airport, and you just see people with that, like mothers with a newborn or a toddler with no clothes asking you for food, right? So this is not like just basic human rights. Yeah. And I remember, you know, as a preteen, maybe early teen, really making up my mind. I'm like, I, I, so I grew up in a family where we had a lot of, um, a lot of cousins, a lot of relatives in the U.S. And it was just a thing that you, I'm going to go to the U.S. to study. Like that was just sort of part of the family ethos, if you will, I have mixed feelings about it, but that's what we believed. Um, and I, I remember telling myself, okay, I'm going to the U.S., I'm going to study, I'm going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to come back and open an orphanage. Like, these children should not be walking the streets without food and clothing. And, you know, it's, it often saddens me every time I reflect on the stories. I'm, I'm clearly not doing that right now. But I share that story because for me, the seeds of um, service were planted very early on. And I saw my parents in, you know, myriad of different ways, bully, give back. And it was very clear to me that my life cannot just be about, as you may, my career cannot just be about making more money. Um, and so I come to the U.S. Um, I start out from consulting and I honestly, like, I never, I never felt at home. I was like, I'm helping rich companies get richer. I will likely get richer in the process. And yes, I could go back and open my orphanage, but I'm like, I'm going to die in the process. <laughs> um, and so I knew from that point on, there has to be something more to my career that is not just about my resume and giving back has to be a part of it. Yeah. And <clears throat> to sort of cut it short, I would say, I then went on a bunch of different experiments, but the thread that kept me kept pulling at me was this thread of what can we do to, you know, bring out the best in people? How do we amplify human potential? Help others, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I think the helping others is, is interesting as a coach. I'm sort of jumping into the content because in my work today as a coach, yes, there are moments in my writing or even in my one-on-one or when I'm teaching something, there are moments when I'm like very clearly like teaching people a concept or a principle. And that's rewarding. But what I find more interesting, Jason, is when you're sitting with somebody, you're asking them a question, you're playing something back, you're simply listening and they're like, oh, I figured out what the problem is and I'm not going to go fix it. And to me, that is really the magic of coaching. That is really the magic of what brings me alive when I do this work. So let's segue into uh, coaching as a manager. So obviously, as you discussed, this is an area you help people with. So what does it mean and why is this an area of focus? Yeah. So I, 
I'll maybe start a little broader than manager as coach. I'll start with what is my fundamental belief with coaching. My biggest belief about people is we each have a ton of gold inside of us. And I'm using gold as a metaphor. It could be strengths, it could be hidden dreams, it could be talents. Um, and sometimes they gather dust, right? You're, you're not in the right environment. You're being silenced. You don't get to bring those gifts to life. It could be sexism in the workplace. It could be racism in the workplace. You're not getting the right project. It could also be you have a strength. You didn't even realize you have a strength. And it's just like mm -hmm. hiding somewhere. Um, and I really think uh, more often than not, we, we let that full goal shine when we're in a safe relationship. Now, that could be a safe relationship of a coach. It could be a safe relationship of a manager. It could be a peer. It could be a good friend, a mentor, etc. And I really think that managers have such a beautiful and unique and powerful opportunity, but I'd also say responsibility to really bring out that gold in the people they get to lead. It's not just about delivering results. Um, I think they have a bigger responsibility. And I am going to say, when you focus on that, you actually bring out even better results for your business and, and, your, and your team. So if you're a manager, like, how do you, how do you find that? How do you find the gold? In yeah. Like, because that, that's the tough part, right? Like yeah, it's a tough for, part. for me, I, I, I found out later on in life what, um, what I really enjoy and what I'm, what I'm good at. It, it yeah. takes time. So as a manager, like, how do you find that out? Yeah. And here's the thing. I, I gave you such a big, like, aspirational vision. I yeah. also want to then, you know, for the managers who are listening to this, I don't want this to be like, wait a minute, Neha's telling us I have to help them figure out exactly everything they need to do with their life now. Yeah. Um, when I'm, I, I would then break it down. Let's just say you're going into a meeting, Jason, and you know, you are feeling a little nervous. So I'll actually share an example. I had a manager once who was incredibly skilled at this. We were going into this meeting and I was, I was very nervous. It was with a difficult stakeholder, a very senior stakeholder. I had done the presentation several times, but, but they were just skeptical. They were not convinced with what we were doing. So I prepped with my manager. She really helped me you know, honed the message, she reviewed my slides, all of that. And she said, I'm going to sit with you in the meeting, but I trust you to take charge. You know your material, you know what their concerns are, you know how to handle it. I'm going to be in the background, just assume I'm not there. I'm really there for air cover. I'm there if he asks you questions you cannot answer, I have your back. Mm -hmm. You can go shine. And to me, that's mm -hmm. a coaching moment, right? That's a moment where she let, she let from behind but she was willing to give me the center stage to go bring my gifts, to bring my voice, to bring my ideas into the forefront. And that's an example. Well, she, she allowed you to stretch yourself. So if this is something that you normally haven't done, right? Now you have an audience with um, people you haven't presented to before. Whether you fail or not, you know, you're going to learn something. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um... So what, what, what comes in the way for managers to coach their people? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I just, I actually want to just talk about something I saw today in a, a business insider article. It was actually interesting because over the past year, obviously there's been a, a lot of, um, downsizing, unfortunately, and the, the biggest layer that's been cut has been middle management. So what's been happening is. The, so the work still needs to get done, but now that work, the middle management work is being shifted up to, to, to the, you know, the, the next level up. And what's happening is, 
it's causing burnout because now you've got to do more with less. You may have people, um, because you're a lot of the people working remotely, they may be spread across four or five, six different time zones and you've got to manage that. So you got to conduct all the meetings. You got to do your work. You got to present, you got to do strategy, you got to do all, all your work. And it's causing people to, um, I guess, not focus on things that they should like coaching, for mm -hmm. example. So let's, so that was an interesting article. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I'm so glad you bring the article up. I had a chance to read that too. And, you know, I was nodding my head as I was reading the article because I, I see that firsthand in all my one-on-one -on -one sessions with, with managers. And, you know, there are two things I want to comment on that for any managers listening. One, I, I really want to express, like, I want to acknowledge how hard it is to be a manager. I mean, I think it's always hard to be a good manager, right? If you yes. really want to lead with care, you want to lead with integrity. It's always hard because yes, you're, you have way too many stakeholders to, to manage and to please. But I, I think for the reasons that you mentioned, Jason, it's particularly hard right now. Um, and <clears throat> I don't think there's sufficient acknowledgement of how hard and how stretched and how, yeah, how challenging it is to be a manager. The other thing I want to sort of em empathize there or, or sort of assure managers is um, they're not alone when they're feeling. Because one of the things that will often notice managers will come to me and be like, am I the only one, Neha? Do you hear this from other people too? You know, I have to give this piece of hard feedback or I have to, you know, this whole remote and hybrid um, dance that's happening within my organization. Um, I need to let this person go. I'm trying hard to keep this person. You're not alone in all of these struggles. Like I, I see very similar patterns. Um, so I want to acknowledge that. I think you bring up a good point, which is, okay, if I'm stretched so thin, I'm listening to this podcast and here Neha is telling us and Jason is inspiring us to, you know, ma make more time for coaching when I barely have time to even get through my to-do list, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say, you know, two big things. I don't want you to think of coaching as this one big, you know, I have to spend two extra hours with every direct report in a given week, in a given month um, to be a good coach. No. So I really want, first off, I want you to take that pressure off. Yes, there'll be moments when you can have like a dedicated coaching conversation, uh, but that is tremendous power in infusing coaching moments in your day-to-day -day work. So, you know, just kind of what my manager did. She did not spend hours preparing me. Like she knew I could do the work. Um, she created conditions where I had enough independence. We spent a few minutes aligning on the key messages and then she just sat there in that meeting. And, and in that meeting, she sat there, but there were other meetings where she'd just be like, just go. Like, I am 95% confident you'll handle, I mean, I have confidence you'll handle 95% of what comes your way, the 5% you can't handle, mm -hmm. you tell them I'll get back to you later. And, and what's interesting is that manager, when she can then do that, she frees up time for herself, right? So that's one principle is it's not a dedicated, I have to sit down and coach you every, every step of the way. Like one hour per person per, like if you got 10 people, I got to set aside 10 hours. You don't need to no, do that. No, no, Okay. Um, the second thing, and we can, we can talk a little more about what are some tactical, like when I'm saying coaching, you know, I gave you a couple examples, but what else does coaching mean? You know, one big thing is ask good questions, right? So one of my favorite questions is what are we solving for? You know, say a direct report comes to you in your one-on-one -on -one meeting and they're like feeling stuck here, feeling stuck there. 
or they're trying to like work on a project. Well, this stakeholder says this, you know, marketing person says this, finance person says this. Just have them to pause for a moment and ask them, you know, what's what's the real challenge? What are we solving for? Um, and you're helping them get clarity on what what is the real problem. And chances are when you, you know, when, when they align on the problem, when both of you align on the real problem, you are solutioning better versus when everyone is all over the place. Another one of my favorite questions is just asking people, like they're coming to your one-on-one and again, they're feeling overwhelmed. I'm stressed. I have to drive into the office. I'm feeling stressed about this deadline. Ask them, how can I help? Because sometimes they're just telling you they're frustrated with having to drive in the office. They know you can't mm-hmm. change anything. You don't have to become their therapist and you don't have to, you know, solve every single problem in their life. But you can just give them agency and power back and be like, how can I help? And they might tell you, I just wanted to, you to listen. Thank you for listening. Or they might tell you, right? Um, Is it okay if I come into the office one day a week less? And then you can problem solve that specific thing versus having to guess. One of the things I, I often hear from managers is when I'll ask them, do you really know what your direct report needs from you on this specific problem? They'll be like, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm assuming. So just go and ask them, yeah. right? Ask them. That's one, one example of um, making your life easier, but actually empowering your people to make better decisions by simply asking, asking good questions. Yeah. I, I, so I remember uh, one of my earlier parts of my career, my, my manager um, was stretched thin and there was a period where my weekly one-on-ones were being canceled. I don't know how long this was going on for, but you know, I would get last minute um, meeting declined. Sorry, can't make it. And you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, we make time for things that are important to us. We really do. Right. If, if you don't give, if you don't give a crap about something, you're not going to make time for it. So, um, so there's ways around this. For example, if you got a team and let's say you got a team of six, right? You don't have time for six hours a week to do one hour, one-on-one meetings, cut it down. What, um, what we ended up doing in one of the companies I, I worked at is we would send uh, our manager, we'd have like a, just uh, like a Google sheet or something everyone would, would write on just two or three things for updates, two or yeah. three bullet points. So we'd share bullet points in advance in terms of here's what's going on. Here's what I need from you. You know, here's the problem. So that way, when you get to the meeting, it's very efficient. So we cut down six hours to... Let's call it, you know, an hour, hour and a half more, you know, something like that, where you can deal with these problems in a more efficient manner and still allow everyone to get on with their day, the manager to get on with his or her day yeah, and, and get to other things that need to be tasked with. So it's just about creating efficiency, but also finding time yes. to deal with those issues. Yeah. And then there's, and just one more thing. There's also, there's also time maybe on a drive home or uh, early morning before work starts, just to have like a quick chat or quick yes. texting or something like that and just say, hey, is everything okay? What can I help you with? Yep. Are you stuck with anything? Yes, I love that. You know, I love what you said, Jason, around we make time for what matters. And I have two thoughts to what the story you just shared is. And I know some managers listening to this might hate me for saying this, but I think if on a consistent, if I look at a manager's six-month schedule, and the manager tells me they do not have time for a weekly one-on-one. I'm going to challenge that manager and say, you're not doing, you're not spending your time right. 
That's fair. Yeah. Um, 30 minutes to one hour a week, in my opinion, is a manager's responsibility. And here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to um, also sort of, you know, empathize with the managers. There will be seasons. You know, maybe your company is going through an acquisition. Maybe there is a whole like big burning project. The CEO wants you to like be the face of that project. Yes, there will be a season where you might have to cancel mm -hmm. for one month. And if that's a habit, something is wrong in the way you are managing. And the other thing I would add there is give people context, right? So if you've been one of those managers who consistently shows up to their one-on-ones, something happens, you cannot now show up. Um, let people know. If it's a personal thing, you're navigating something in your personal life, you need to, you don't need to tell them what's happening between you and your, your partner or you and an aging parent, but give them some context because in the absence of the context, Jason, just as you shared, the direct report internalizes that I don't matter. This relationship does not matter. And that's the worst message you could be giving a direct report. So, so this, this might not be the best analogy, but um, employees are almost like your children. Yeah. So you make time for your kids because they have, you know, you want to, you want to invest time to build a relationship. You yeah. need to help them out because kids, you know, need help. employees are the same way. Yeah. Right. So invest the time to help them out because if you don't, guess what? The relationship is not going to end well because yes. if I'm an employee, I'm going to check out. I'm going to say my manager doesn't care about me. I'm going to look for something yeah. else. I'm either going to transition to a, a different role within the company or I'm going to leave because this person isn't supporting me and I need help. Yes. 100%. So. That, that's, that just kind of popped in my mind as, as you were talking about that. as like, hey, you know, you, you really have to invest time. Yeah. And again, there will be seasons when that's hard and that's okay. And like you said, maybe it's, you know, you leave them a quick test, text. You let them know after a big meeting, you know, like, yeah, you didn't show up to that big meeting. You let your direct report go. The executive sends you a message and says, you know, Jason did a good job. Send Jason a note, right? Take five minutes. <laughs> Yep. Drop them a note. Um, yep. Jason, good job. I got a note from the executive. You, you know, you did well. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge them for who they are and what they're doing. So, so let's talk about, let's say, um, you know, your employee comes to you and says, hey, I've got a problem. And let's say I can't solve the problem. Yeah. Right? Um, how, how is a manager supposed to, supposed to deal with that? Like, what would you say to someone if, let's say, there's a feeling that, oops, you know, Someone's come to me asking for help and I can't help, yeah. or maybe, maybe it's beyond my control. What would you like, what would you say to the manager? How's the person supposed to add value? Yeah. And I love how you hinged on add value because I think, well, especially under moments of stress, managers often feel like the way they contribute as a leader is by solving all of their people's problems all the time. And I'm going to challenge a manager and say, that's not the most effective way that you add value all the time. Yeah, there might be certain moments you need to do that. But I think in your example, um, there will be times when you don't have the answer, right? So let's assume that's that's the scenario here is, you know, person comes to you and you don't have the answer. I think the first and foremost I would say is acknowledge to your direct report, this is a hard problem. And I don't <laughs> have the answer, right? And I think it can feel very threatening. It can feel very... It can trigger a lot of fear for a manager. It's like, what kind of a manager am I if I don't have the answer? Uh, but I think that's okay. You're being human. 
and you're acknowledging that I don't have all the answers at this time. But I, I see you want to say something, Jason. Yeah, well, I, I think that's important because um, curiosity is very important. Yes. Not having the answer yeah. is okay. Because yep. if you it, it, look, okay, sometimes you're going to have the answer, but if you don't, like investigate it saying, hey, you know what? I don't know. Let me check. Yeah. And, and I've been in sales a while. And if someone yeah. asks me a question about something, and I don't know, I'll go check. And that's yeah. that's not a weakness. Yeah. And I'm going to challenge you, you know, if you're sort of wearing a coach as a manager hat, instead of saying, I will go check, ask the person, what do you think? You know, ask the person, what have they done to investigate? And maybe you can then brainstorm together, add to yeah. that. Um, or you could, again, ask, ask the person, what do you think is the next step? I, they might say, I need to go talk to Jason. And then you can ask them, how can I help? Yeah. And they might be like, Jason is your best friend. Can you send them a note letting them know that I will be reaching out to Jason. Wait. So if you come mm -hmm. to think of it, you've helped them move forward in finding a solution to that problem right. by connecting or introducing them to Jason. Right. And then when they go and solve the problem themselves, they're going to have more confidence, right? They're going to have yeah. greater self-belief. You're, you're connecting them. You're making sure you're connecting them and, and helping the person kind of do the work themselves. Yes. And here's the thing to the manager who tells me they don't have time. Look, you coached your person, you empowered them to go find the answer. You unblocked them because they wanted an introduction to Jason. And guess what? You gave yourself some time back, not having to spend mental cycles in trying to solve that problem yourself or go fix it yourself. It's like, again, going back to the child, to the child analogy, if you do everything for your kid, well, guess what? Kid's never going to learn to do anything him or herself, right? Uh, you have to enable your child yeah. to go out on their own and do yeah. something. Hey, yeah. you want to learn how to cook? Guess what? Go make a meal yourself. Try it. Yes. And you know, with the meal analogy, I think the job of a good manager is, let's say you have five direct reports. Each one's skill set to cook will be different. Each one's interest to learn to cook will be different. Each one's aspiration to be a better cook will be different. And your job is to get answers to all of those and then figure out, um, you know, for, for one person might be like, okay, go Google the recipe. For another person it might be like, okay, I've tried it four times. It's still not tasting how well I could. Could you watch over me and help me see, okay, you're burning the onions a lot. That's why it's not tasting as well. And I think that's the hard part, right? And that's what I want to really empathize with managers and tell them, there is no real answer. I mean, there's no easy answer to be like, here's the playbook for, you know, each person because you have to get to know each person and see where they are and where they want to go. But here's what I'm going to offer a perspective to make a manager's life easy is go ask those people. Instead of having to guess what their skill set is or what their, especially their aspiration um, and how they want to be helped, take 30 minutes and have that conversation up front. Ask them how they want to be, how they want to receive feedback. Ask them what they want out of their career. Ask them, you know, um, how do they want to be challenged? How do they want to be helped? And and that makes your life so much easier versus having a guess what each person wants. Yeah. It's it's basic customer service. Like yeah. You go in, right? You go into a place, you, you want to serve someone basically as the person wants to be served, right? Yeah. Uh, because if I'm guessing, then uh, I may get it wrong. Tell yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about some key learning. Um, what are some successful approaches to bringing out the best in teams using some ideas and tools from coaching? 
Yeah. So I think a big one, which I know we touched upon is, you know, just asking good questions, right? So another one that I really like is hoping people prioritize, especially, you know, as you mentioned, everyone is overwhelmed with, with the impending layoffs, uh, the ongoing layoffs rather, and, and sort of this, you know, looming fear with the economy. Um, there's just a lot of pressure to do more with less and everyone, you know, our default is, oh, let me just do everything. But we all know you can't be doing everything like, you know, for a sustained duration of time. Really helping people prioritize, ask them what's about the line, what's below the line, and then align on what's below the line and back your people up. Um, So, you know, again, back to as a principal, think of questions. Every time you feel like you want to give them an answer, pause and and see, can you ask them a question um, to help them move forward? That's one. Another thing I would add is, you know, when you do have to give feedback, um, think of how can you give them solution-focused feedback, right? So to give you an example, let's say, you know, somebody comes to you as, as you, in, your, in your example, um, or maybe let's take a different example. Somebody comes to you with a problem that you have a ton of experience doing and you ask them some questions, they give you some answers and you feel like, okay, um, I can add on this or I can challenge them. Let's say you do the talking for a minute or two um, then pause and ask them, how is this landing? So you're giving them a chance to problem solve and iterate and not be like, oh, my boss said it, so I'll just go do it. Uh, maybe they disagree with you. Maybe they have something more to add. And you can collectively, um, you know, collaborate better on, on the problem. And so that's, that's one way to think about it. Um, another thing is, let's say you come out of a meeting and you really think your, your direct report was like a four on 10, like they didn't nail it, okay? Um, and let, one option is you come out of the meeting, boom, boom, boom. You just like, you know, attack them with like, here are four things you didn't do well, which I, you know, I, I do think the message, the message needs to go. But instead of taking that approach, what if you come out and you ask the person, well, hey, Jason, how did you think the meeting went? Right? Chances exactly. That, exactly. Chances are Jason might acknowledge and be like, um, Neha, I think it was a four on 10 or like, I don't think it went very well. Okay, pause and ask Jason, Jason, what do you think you can do differently next time? Mm-hmm. I am going to argue if you're training, well, I shouldn't just put it on the manager. If things are going well, if, if there is trust and, you know, alignment in the relationship, chances are Jason should be able to at least you and Jason hopefully should be on the same page around how things went. Now it's possible Jason thinks I nailed it. You think it was a four on 10. Okay, then have that honest conversation. You can still have that conversation with compassion, with kindness, but make sure you are clear in what you expect Jason to do next time. I bring that up because one of the things I notice among managers who, you know, who are kind and compassionate and people-centered is they're not direct. They're not clear in what they expect from their people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the greatest disservice you are doing to your people. Give them, be clear with them. Don't beat from the bush um, and let them know where they stand. And it's yeah. it's going to be helping both parties in the long run. And it's your point. I, I totally agree with you in terms of starting off by saying, hey, how do you think you did? And then when it, when it comes to manager providing feedback, you can get into, hey, here's what I noticed. You can start off with good stuff. I noticed you did this well, this well, this well. Here's where uh, here's where I see an opportunity for improvement. Focus on this, 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 and you can give a low example without being negative, but you yes. can provide an opportunity. It's it's a le- a teachable moment. Yes, absolutely. Right. And another thing that I often nudge managers, you know, I'll often ask them when they come with like you know difficult situations with the direct report is, 
do you see potential in your person? Do you think they are capable of going from a four on 10 in how they performed at that meeting to becoming an eight or nine? And more often than not, I hear managers tell me a yes. I believe in them. And here's my invitation. When you believe in someone, even when they're a three or four on 10, let them know that you're giving them that constructive feedback because you believe in them. You know they can grow. And what can be better than knowing that, you know, just I think your analogy with children too, right? I mean, what can be better than knowing that you're loved and respected for who you are? And yes, you are, you're getting some very critical feedback, which can be hard to hear, but that's because someone believes in you getting better. It's like the low engine that could. I think I can. I think I can, right? Yeah. It's a good one. That's really what it's about. When you, when someone puts a positive idea in your head, when you think positive about yourself, yeah, that's where stuff happens. Because the moment yeah. someone brings, tries to bring you down, that's where um, you start to doubt yourself. Yeah. But again, I'm going to repeat myself, but I think a lot of well-intended managers, because they don't want to bring somebody down, they don't let them know when they're not okay. meeting Clark. And I think it's, again, a disservice to the direct report, but I also see lots of managers when I'm like, why did you stay, you know, why did you stay up till 9 p.m. in the office? And like, oh, my direct report is not pulling their weight. I'm like, have you, have you shared that with them? Yeah, I'm looking for the right opportunity. Yeah, I'm trying to, and, and oftentimes my coaching sessions with managers, I don't know, you, you got to tell them. And, you know, yeah. sometimes I, I specifically remember a story when a manager was navigating some of this and, and where they landed was the direct report was, again, it was a senior person. The direct report was a director. My client was a vice president. They aligned that this was not the right role for the person. And, you know, which is okay, which is, was great. Like, you know, oh, two weeks later, my client came in just so happy. She's like, I let this person go. She's in a happier place. She's on a different department. Yeah. We're working on finding a different person for me. And it was just like win-win for everyone. So, yep. you know, leading with compassion, creating trust and safety doesn't mean everything has to be like rosy and easy all the time. You will have to have hard conversations. And that's part of what I think is so important. But sometimes like the hard part that we run away or shy away from engaging yeah. with. Yeah. So what's the overall message you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. I think if there was one message I want to leave people with is reminding them that when you lead with care, when you wear that coach hat, you know, I think you, you use such a beautiful word, Jason, which is that curiosity. When, when you lead with curiosity, when you ask questions, when you listen, when you seek to understand, you really create conditions to bring out the best in your people that ultimately will drive your business forward more effectively. Um, and to really lean into that, lean into that care. Uh, but again, you know, just to, I, I touched on this just a minute back is leading with care doesn't mean that you don't make hard decisions of delivering tough feedback. Leading with care doesn't mean you don't let someone go, right? When you've tried everything, that's not the right fit. But it really means putting humanity and care into all of your people decisions. And at the mm -hmm. same time, knowing that you will sometimes get it wrong, right? You will sometimes say something that might hurt someone. And I'm going to challenge you if you've created enough trust and safety in the relationship, hopefully they can come and tell you and you can repair, right? Um, and knowing that you will make mistakes as a people manager, like that's, that's the territory that comes with being a people manager. Exactly. Yeah. So, so now we're just going to segue into what I call the noble round. It's just a, a quick Q and A about two or three questions. Uh, so oh, what do you do for fun? Good. What do I do for fun? Um, 
So I love cooking, which is why I use some going to the cooking analogy. I love to cook. I love to read. Um, I love to hike. I live in California, so I love the outdoors. So hiking, camping, traveling, and I have two young kids. Um, so I obviously get to have a lot of fun with them. So speaking of which, I, I, I have seen your photos on LinkedIn. You spend a lot of time with your family, with your two young kids, especially. What's the favorite activity you like to do with your kids? My favorite would be hiking and camping. If you ask What's them. What's their favorite? That, they will tell you video games. <laughs> Even this morning, right before this, mommy, can we play video games once we come back from school? And I was just like rolling my eyes. I'm like, let me check my schedule. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. If, um, if you could choose anyone in the world to meet, who would that be and why? Oh my God. That's a good one. Okay. If I could have dinner with one person, I would pick Michelle Obama. And why? Yeah, and why? Why? Um, so many things, but I'd, I'd pick three. Um, I have been very inspired by her humility and her vulnerability in just being real about the good, the bad, the ugly of her life. Um, I also love how she took her power and privilege and she's done so much good with it. Like for her, it wasn't again back to sort of where we started with service. Like it wasn't just, I want all this for myself, like giving back and serving others. And, you know, in some ways, like bringing out the best mm -hmm. in other people is such an important way of how she's lived her life. And third, I've just loved her focus on relationships. Her friendships, um, community, her marriage, her children. And that's just something I deeply value too. Um, so it'll be lovely to you know, sit down across the table and be in her presence. You know what? You never know. Maybe she'll hear this podcast and, oh, yeah. reach out to you. <laughs> and say, hey, let's break bread, right? Yeah. <laughs> So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. How can course, uh, people Jason. reach you and Jason. learn more about your work? Yeah, so I am pretty active on LinkedIn. People are welcome to find me on LinkedIn, send me a note. I, I love meeting new people. Um, I also have a LinkedIn newsletter. I call it the New Leadership Manifesto. So welcome to subscribe and you know read, read what I have to say there. Um, and then in terms of gathering with me, um, I'll, I do free gather. I do a bunch of different free gatherings depending on what's going on uh, or the topic that's interesting. But right now for the month of September, um, I'm partnering with Leanne Hutter, a wonderful woman, um, and we're doing manager sticky situations. So if you have a sticky situation as a manager, um, come join us. These are small, intimate gatherings. We keep everything confidential. We problem solve and, and brainstorm with you using coaching frameworks. And finally, um, um, Leanne and I, the same woman I mentioned, uh, we're both co-teaching, co-leading a class called Manager as Coach. So, you know, we touch on some of the concepts that we went through and it's a four-week online class and we have two cohorts in October for different time zones. Um, you can find information on my LinkedIn page um, and we'd be so honored and would be lovely to have some listeners from, from the podcast to join us in our course. So I'm going to put all of that in the show notes. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. It was uh, great to reconnect. Yeah, so lovely um, speaking with you, Jason. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to have an opportunity to meet, meet people on your part. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate us and spread the word. Do you have any questions or suggestions or are you an HR leader? 
that has great stories and advice to share, then send me a note at podcast at noblesearchgroup.com. That's podcast at n-o-b-l-e searchgroup.com.